Titus chapter 3. Now, the Apostle Paul has been telling Titus some pretty heavy things. Now, as we go on in the book and as we see the conclusion of the book, he's talking often in plural. So he obviously wasn't just directing this to Titus, but it was to all the Tituses that would be after the Titus. He had a sense it indeed was the word of God. And he was telling him, look, you need to get things put in order there in Crete, in all the various churches on that island. How are you going to do that? You've got to raise up leadership. How are you going to do that? You've got to stop the false teachers. How are you going to do that? You need to teach the older men how to be men. You need to teach the younger men how to be men. You need to teach the older women and the younger women. You need to teach people that are employees how to be good employees and to have the right heart. And, uh, and then he's made it very clear uh, in this letter, it's going to be accomplished by the grace of God. It's the grace of God that's going to teach us how not to live worldly, and it's the grace of God that's going to teach us how to live godly. And uh, we're able to say what the Apostle Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God. And that's what we're going to say too. I am what I am by the grace of God. In other words, um, by the, in the positive note, I labor more than all, yet not I, but the grace of God. So the grace of God was causing him to do awesome things, accomplish amazing things, but he knew it wasn't him. He knew there was a, a, a divine working of the power of God's spirit that was shaping him and changing him and causing him to be the godly man that he was. And so with all of us, we come to that point where we just say, God, I can't do this, help me. And then God's grace comes in and we go, I am what I am by the grace of God. That's not a saying. I'm telling you it's the truth. I have changed, I have grown, I am godly in some areas of my life, but it's 100%. Uh, the power and the grace and the goodness of God. Well, in his conclusion here tonight, he's going to talk about various things that need to be avoided, and then he's going to give his final farewell. So he says in chapter 3, verse 9, avoid foolish disputes, genealogies, contentions, and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and useless. So first of all, don't get into foolish disputes. Um, There's often people wanting to try to get people inquisitive about various things. And I've been in the church long enough to see a lot of them come and go. And boy, when they come, they make it seem that if you're not a part of this, whatever the new fad is, um, you're really out there. You're really missing the new wave of what the Holy Spirit's doing. And through the years, we just try to stay focused on God's word, focused on encouraging the body, building the body. And boy, they come and it hits you like a wave. And and some people leave to run after the various fads. And then they come back. And here we are again, just plugging away, teaching the word. So there's a lot of various disputes that come up. I mean, I can remember the... Different books on demons, you know. Here the guy comes out with this three-part series on demons. And, Brian, did you know that there's probably a fifth-degree demon who's oppressing this area? You know, it's all these kind of crazy things. None of it's in the Bible. Um, It's causing them to be spiritually minded. Praise God for that. But to be looking under every rock for a demon and trying to figure out what kind of demon is and how to pray. And, you know, you got to read sequel number two to learn how to pray against that kind of demon and all the crazy things. 
And then the angels come through, and boy, you know, there's angels, different types of angels. And, and then there's the waves of the end times. Somebody always come up with a new way to look at end times and try to get people uh, going on that. Um, then there's always the 88 reasons. Jesus is coming back in 1988. Oh, nope, it didn't. 88, 89 reasons, he's coming back in 89. Um, interesting, he didn't try the 90 reasons in, for 1990, but uh, he was able to make as much money on 1989 as he was 88, which is uh, quite surprising. And, uh, but I remember having a stack of those books. People kept giving them, Brian, you've got to read this book, The 88 Reasons. You've got to understand, I read exactly that same kind of book back when I was 15, 20 years ago. I don't need to read that book. I can tell you what's in that book without reading it. This guy was a rocket scientist. Well, it doesn't matter. Um, the Bible's made it clear what he's trying to accomplish. The Bible said it's not going to be accomplished. The point is, is always attention. The Lord can come back anytime, not to try to figure out the month. We don't know the day or the hour, but we do know the day, the week. You know, we can narrow it down to the month and the week. Um, all the crazy things that have come through. And in all of them, I just try not to get sidetracked. I remember uh, going up to the Bible college, and it went on for... About four years out of Genesis chapter 6 on the Nephilim. What were the Nephilim? Were they sons of Adams or were they demon beings? And uh, it literally, I mean, it didn't matter what the class. I remember teaching a class on Nehemiah. Uh, Is there any questions? Oh, yes. What do you think about the Nephilim? (laughs) We're not going to talk about that. We're sitting in Nehemiah. Well, what do you think? And, you know, here I am a year later teaching church history. Hey, what do you, you know, it's like, get over this. What is, I mean, this is just a complete distraction over an aspect of the word, but it's just creating disputes. And there's kids that were mad at each other, wouldn't even talk to each other because one had taken one side and one had taken another over the Nephilim. And what were they? Um, it can get pretty silly sometimes. You need to take back, step back and take a look at the, the whole panorama view, you get stuck in the tunnel and uh, it looks pretty silly. Then there's genealogies. Um, boy, you, you hear some people teach, you know, Genesis chapter 5 and, and boy, they take all the names and this name means that and that name means this and you put it all together and there's a hidden message. And it's always so funny because I always try that in my books and I never get those names to mean that. Well, you got to do this. You got to do that. You got to, you know, you got to look back at the Hebrew root and, you know, look at, it's always some new thing. Or you got to take every third letter of every fourth name and twist it and put it at the end of every word. And then it may, you know, it's always some crazy method. Um, And you always come up with all this dispute over genealogies. You know, there's a lot of things in the Bible that's just historic documents. And that's all they were good for, is historic documents. They really mean nothing to us today other than to tell us the Bible is a faithful book of history. And that's an important thing. Because a lot of, well, all the cults, they make you put on their glasses to understand the Bible. In other words, you have to let us indoctrinate you with all our doctrine, and then you read the Bible through our glasses to understand it. We say this, the Bible should be treated like any other book. It's like any other work of antiquity. It's a historical book. It can stand on its own. And if you look at the Bible from a historic perspective, interpret the Bible 
from a historic perspective, you will come up with the true Christian doctrine. But it's when you start getting fancy and dancy and get all these allegories and analogies and symbolism and types and you start doing all of these crazy things that aren't there that then people say, you can make the Bible say anything you want. It's true. When you start doing all these weird things with it, you can make it say all kinds of weird things. But if you just simply read it like you would a newspaper, except trust it, (laughs) except the facts are right. That's the only difference. Um, I had an interview a while back and the guy was asking me all these questions. I gave him two facts. My name is Brian Newberry. Here's my card. And the other was, he asked how big the sanctuary is. I said it seats 1,200. Neither one of those facts did he get right in the article. He spelt my name wrong and he said our sanctuary seats 1,000, which I, I don't care. But I thought it was interesting because he was asking all these facts and one of our staff members there going, I know that. Be quiet. I've had more than one interview. There's one thing I've learned about newspaper guys. They never get the facts right. <laughs> um, I'm just going to be real general and let them come up with whatever little story they want. But uh, it's interesting how off they can be. But the Bible's not. The Bible's correct. That's the difference. But you just read it for what it says. And you don't need to get into a dispute over the various hidden messages in the genealogies. And then you have the contentions. People that are wanting to cause strife. Remember there in 1 Corinthians, I'm of Paul, I'm of Paulus, I'm of Peter. Well, I'm of Christ. You know, you have all the people and no matter what name they use, they were causing strife over it. And there's people within the Calvary Chapel movement that can do that. Well, we're of Calvary Chapel. We're the only ones doing it right. You know what Paul said? All such speaking is carnal. And you're mere children. I can't speak to you of mature things. If you understand the concept of God, read Ephesians 4. The Spirit of God's trying to bring us into unity. That's why we're not a denomination. We're just a Christian fellowship. And we're not going to be a denomination. I got a letter today from the Assembly God pastor here in town saying, hey, let's get together. Absolutely, let's get together. I, I'm, I love fellowshipping with believers. Now, do we agree eye to eye on every major point of the doctrine? Absolutely, but minor points, no. We have different methodologies. We have different thoughts on a few different things. But we can definitely have some sweet fellowship. So if there's gonna be a schism or a contention, make sure it's not you. But there are people, again, who want to attack, want to stir up, want to try to bring contention. I might add, as you go back and read Ezra and Nehemiah, in the middle of a building project is all the more, because Satan knows. You divide and conquer. A house divided, what? Cannot stand. And we see that in the book of Nehemiah, where you have the people coming in, trying to divide people's loyalties and desires. And, and uh, the tribe of Judah, which was the kingly tribe, came and said, oh, you know, you're going around the clock and these people are threatening us. You should give these guys a break. You're putting too much load on them. And, and they quit. It discouraged others. But they, Nehemiah said, no way, we're going to keep doing it. And God just gave them a mind to work. And they round the clock. They didn't even bathe. They just kept taking the rocks up and piling them up and building the wall. And in 52 days, they, they completed it. But there's always going to be contentions and contentious people. And then there's strivings about the law. You, you have often new believers that get attacked on every way from Satan, trying to disrupt them. 
They have a, a time where the hedge is around them, and then all of a sudden, the hedge comes down, and all the loonies um, get to come their way. And, uh, you know, many of them always have their interpretation of the law. You know, the Seventh-day Adventists, oh, you've got to worship on Saturday, or eventually you'll be worshiping the beast. What's the mark of the beast? It's not 666. It's worshiping on Sunday. Well, that's what the leader of their movement said. Crazy things like that. And you know what? There's a lot of wonderful Seventh-day Adventist people, and they're Christians. And you know what? I I don't want to strive with them about it. I just want to go to Romans 14 and say, you know what? To one day, a day is important to them. To another day, every day is alike. Let each one purpose in his own heart, and to the Lord he stands or falls. The same thing about food. You know, the different groups say, oh, you can't eat meat. You know, the Seventh-day Adventist, you can't eat meat. I used to go over quite some time to the Paradise Valley Hospital when I was in that area because they have really good food in that cafeteria. But it's always funny when you go there, it's cheap. When you go there for breakfast, you go there for breakfast, they have bacon and sausage and all of this stuff. And of course, it's not bacon or sausage. It's stuff... It's all veggie, but it looks like bacon. Its texture is like bacon. It's brown around the outsides and white up the middle. It looked like it had fat in it and stuff. And I asked him, I said, if it's wrong to eat meat, why do you make stuff that looks like meat? You know why? Because I think in the back of your brain, you're saying, (laughs) I need meat. And so I'm going to fool myself. That's what you're saying. But it's, it's so funny that you're not supposed to eat it if you're right with God. But we can eat stuff that looks like it. Uh, pretty crazy. We rented a Seventh-day Adventist church for eight years, and it was wonderful. They were great people to work with. But um, I remember one time they had these ceramic pigs, and we broke a pig, a little tiny piglet, and uh, they went ballistic over that. And who did it? I, I don't know. They had like, 50 of them, but anyway, they noticed this one that was broken, and uh, they wanted it replaced. So we were going all up and down TJ and all over the place trying to find that type of ceramic pig. But uh, I remember we got it, and I, ju- I was just how I wanted to say, you know what? These things aren't even kosher. Why are they even your church to begin with? But there's your 50th little piglet. Hope you're happy. Just about killed us to find it, but... Um, But, you know, again, people are going to have various convictions about things. And that's fine. We don't need to strive about it. Just to that conviction you have and to the Lord, uh, don't put it as a law on other people. And these things, if you are in foolish disputes, the word foolish there is the word moros, which you get moron from, these moronic disputes, you know. Um, another big one is the, the UFOs, you know, and people want to talk, oh, they're in the Bible, you know. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to get involved in those crazy disputes, genealogies, contentions, striving over the law, for they're unprofitable. I mean, number one, they're just, they're not going to, at the end of the day, you're going to believe what you believe, I'm going to believe what I believe on these things, they're convictions. They're not major doctrines. Here we could have spent an hour talking about Jesus. 
We could have spent an hour talking about the things we agree upon, all the things God spoke into your life, instead of quibbling over this little area which just makes me mad at you and you mad at me and we don't even want to talk at all anymore. You know, and especially it's, it's, a, it's a sad thing. In a workplace, you may have 50 people at work there and you're the only two... You know, and this guy goes to this church and he believes King James Bible only and, you know, here you are reading your New American Standard and, and here you are quabbling over translations when it's like, you know what? We shouldn't have even gone there and talked about that. Let's just talk about Jesus. We're both born-again believers. Now, if it's a cult, the Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses or something like that, that's a whole other issue. But, you know, if you've got a Baptist and Assembly of God, the Baptist doesn't believe gifts are for today and tongues went out when the Bible was canonized and the Assembly of God's believe you're not, you don't speak in tongues, you don't even have the Holy Spirit yet, uh, you're not baptizing the Spirit yet. Um, y salve a cuantos quieran escucharlo. Predíquelo cuantas oportunidades. The Bible you agree upon. Just talk about what did Jesus speak to you today? What, it, what, as you read the word, what, what strength in your heart? Share it with them. And if it goes to that issue, just say, you know what? I, I understand where, you know, we do believe differently on that peripheral point. It's not a major doctrine. Let's just, let's just not discuss it. Because here we are, our, our aim here is there's 48 non-believers here that work at our work and we need to be praying for them and, and we need to encourage each other to walk strong in the Lord. And let's not, let's not be at odds with one another. That, that would be the worst testimony in this work environment to be at odds with one another and all these non-Christians to see us, both Christians, at odds with one another. You see? And so again, here he makes that point. It's a small island. Crete, although it may be 160 miles wide or long and 35 miles at the most wide, it may seem like a big place, but you know how this planet is. It's a very small world, isn't it? And um, it's an amazing thing to sometimes be on the other side of the world in a city that's millions of people and bump into somebody you know or to find somebody that knows the same person you know. Um, it's a small planet. And even here in Chula Vista, it's a small city. Even though there's hundreds of thousands of people, it's amazing how bad news can get around quick or um, negative news can get around quick. And so again, we don't want to um, bring about those kind of, of disputes, but we want to bring peace. And it's useless. It's not going to encourage the cause of Christ, which is to lead men unto himself. And so don't be a fool, and don't be a foolish person. Well, in verse, um, well, turn over, if you would, to 1 Timothy chapter 1. You'll see this is the same issue that Timothy was having over in Ephesus. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3 and 4 He says, I urge you when I went into Macedonia to remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which cause disputes rather than godly edification, which is in faith. So, again, these topics that have no, there's not enough information to come to a a conclusive conclusion. And therefore, there's going to be, at the end of the day, questions. Now, I've debated with other people who want to talk about end times or something. I've, and they're, they're, you know, it's not an argument. It's not divisive. They just, 
you know, they're mid-trib or post-trib or amillennial, and they want to talk about my position, and, and we have good conversations sometimes, and it's not heated, and they understand. They're mature enough uh, to handle it where they're not, you know, we're going to love each other at the end, and we're not going to argue. And you can have those kind of, of discussions. But I know, and they know, that there are good arguments for all, every, every single view. And there are points in my discussion with them saying, you know, that's a good argument for the mid-trib position. That's the best argument you have. I still stand on the pre-trib position, but that is a good argument you have. Now, I can't prove them wrong. They can't prove me wrong. And at the end of the day, they're going to hold their position, and I'm going to hold my position. And we went into the discussion understanding that. But they basically wanted to understand, hear it out of the mouth of somebody who's a pre-trib, why I stand on the place I stand. And so, again, there can be iron sharpening iron, a friend sharpening another friend, in, those, in that spirit, in that circumstance. But again, for the most part, when it comes to discussions like that, that don't have a conclusive ending, it's going to not bring edification. So you just need to ask yourself, is this conversation building me up? Is this conversation building them up? Are we just spinning our wheels here? And they're starting to get flustered. You know what? Let's just pray. You know what? I really need to end this conversation. And let's just pray. And let me just pray God's blessing on you. And let's, let's go. You see, don't let it go to the place where it gets ungodly. And that's why Paul told Timothy and Titus to make sure that people held to sound doctrine and that they didn't get to a place where the conversations became ungodly and then became uh, which were not in faith. Well, in chapter, back in, back in Titus, chapter 3, I actually said 20 very intelligent things, but they were so fast that the human ear could not catch it. But uh, all the dogs in the town, uh, they understood exactly what I said, and they're all agreed. Titus chapter 3, verse 10. Reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition. Verse 11. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinning and being self-condemned. So now we're going from this contentious person who's striving and being unprofitable and useless and basically the, he's answering Titus's question before Titus has a chance to answer it. Well, what if they don't listen to me? And that's a pretty commonplace thing in the church where somebody will come in and say, you know, Brian's not a Calvinist and I am, but and I'm going to, you know, I'm gonna, I love the church here because the worship's great, but you know, Brian's just off in that point. And it's like, okay, you know what? There's people in the church who definitely do not agree with everything I say, to their own hurt, obviously. But uh, lesser intelligence and all of that. And you know what? They're at peace with us. And they, they enjoy it. And they understand. I'm the pastor here. And I do have the pulpit. And guess what? I am going to teach my position on those things. And there's some passages of scriptures, they come up, oh, Brian, you were right on there tonight. Oh, no, but wait till next chapter. You won't think that next time. It's just because in that message, I leaned in the direction you like, but 
there's another set of verses that lean in the other direction that you don't like. And I simply say what's there, and I don't really care if it's strengthened your position or is against your position because I'm not here to try to please your position. However, if somebody begins to try to be contentious, and there are people because there's so many things that people have different preferences on, that if they begin to try to proselyte other people, and they try to be divisive with it, we'll simply tell them, look, you have that thought process, that's fine. But don't try to go convincing everybody else in that thought process, or we're going to have to ask you to leave. We used to have Bill Gothard come into town with basic youth conflicts. He quit coming because he didn't have a good enough audience. But he was really strong on nobody should ever teach your kids but you. And Sunday school is unbiblical and and uh, boy, we'd get parents go to the conference and they'd be all fired up, you know, that we're going to hell because we have Sunday school. And uh, it's like, you know what? Bring the kids in. Let the little children come unto me. I have no problem. They're little kids sitting in the back. Um, if they can sit still, sit anywhere you want. I have no problem with that. Okay? Understand, we're going to have some adult topics sometimes that may not work. <laughs> When we talk about, um, you know, Samson and Delilah or, you know, some pretty bloody battles in there. And, uh, you know, there's David and Bathsheba. And, I mean, there's some stories in there that probably really aren't fitting for every kind of ears. And to be honest with you, that's the nice thing about having Sunday school is kids can be taught at their level. And uh, I think they can get more out of it that way. But if that's your conviction, fine. We're, we'll work with you on it. But if they're out there trying to convince everybody that they're not being good parents if their kids aren't in the service with them, now they've crossed the line. Okay? Or somebody trying to, every, you know, we've had people trying to convince everybody to be, you know, again, a different end time scenario. And they're every week, you know, trying to, they got their little corner, they got their three or four people over here and, oh, you know, look at this book and read this and here, let me give you another article and, you know, it's like, you know what? We're not going to stand for that. We're going to warn you. We're going to work with you. But there comes a point where we're going to say, you know what? You're distracting the body. Now, there comes a place you have to discern it. Is this one just an erring brother? I, I've seen it where, again, young Christians can get some charismatic person or some person that seems very knowledgeable and just sort of overwhelms them with the topic. And all of a sudden, oh, you know, I read this book, you know, probably the first book they ever read in their life, but it's on angels and, oh, you know, angels, oh, you know, they're all over the place. Oh, I see one now, you know. And uh, I can't tell you how many times I've had people come up and say, I just want you to know, right, that the whole time you were speaking tonight, there was this giant aura behind you glowing. And there was, there was six angels, you know, two of this type, two of that type, two of that type. And, you know, there's never that two around unless you're really anointed and, you know. And it's always like, you know, none of that stuff's in the Bible that you're sharing. But again, somebody's got them off on this tangent. And, and really, all they need is some good, solid teaching. And so we want them here. Even though they're a little strange for a while, we want them here. 
We want them to be fed and strengthened and built up. And often, the ticks and the fleas that were put on them are, are off just by uh, being under the hands of a good shepherd. When you have new sheep coming into the fold, it's a great book. The shepherd looks at the 23rd Psalm. The shepherd wrote a book, and, and he talked about how he was a pastor, and he was also a shepherd for many years before he became a pastor. And, uh, and he talks about when he got new sheep, that you don't put the sheep in with the fold completely because all the different germs that are on them and all the ticks and the fleas, well, all of a sudden, all of a sudden the whole um, flock has lice or has uh, the fleas on them. And, and, and so all of a sudden, they have all of these problems. And so what you do is you keep them separate for a time and you put oil on them and, and you feed them and take care of them until you know they're no longer infectious and then you let them in. Well, we don't have such a system here. We just bring them on in. But if we see that they're trying to, you know, get all their lice on all the other sheep, then we have to say, you know what? We have to separate you. Sometimes guys come in and and they're just whoremongers. They're womanizers. They, you know, they want God, but they also just have hormones coming out their ears. And every time you see them, they're talking to girls. Sometimes they're single guys. Sometimes they're married guys. And we'll just simply say, you know what? You can come to church here, but you can't talk to any of the women. We want to see you for a season, just fellowship with the guys. And here's how you can come to church. When you come on the property, you have to go find one of these five leaders. And your mission is to track them down wherever they're at. Once you find them, that leader is going to stay with you the entire time. If you can do this for a time, then we'll let you come up. But we better not see you talking to a woman in the church for six months. You're here to fellowship, fellowship with the guys. And boy, you really see what they're made of. If they're really coming for Jesus. Or they're coming because there's a lot of cute girls there and they're all innocent and sweet as can be. And I mean, Christian girls make good wives. They got a lot of wonderful godly characteristics. And we've had to do that sometimes. And sometimes they just go, you know what? I didn't even notice I was doing that. No problem. I'm here for Jesus. And I'm, I really am not trying to pick up on girls. And I, you know, I'm doing it you know, subconsciously. I'm just more comfortable around the girls. Some of the guys here are you know, intimidating. I didn't really get to know them. And you know, a friend of mine in church is a girl. And I met all her friends. And, you know, and, it, and sure enough, you see it in a few weeks. He's just pressing in on the Lord. And you say, you know what? That's not the case anymore. There's no ticks and fleas there. Go ahead and fellowship. But so, most of the time, they're like, oh, yeah, you're right. You know, this is a free country, buddy. Yeah, this is private property. <laughs> and you're not welcome back on it. And so being shepherds sometimes, you have to put down your foot to make sure that if there's somebody here that's going to, again, be divisive, divide and conquer, And again, sometimes you have guys that have been here for years, but in their mind, they're greater than they are. And all of a sudden, you know, there's two people in the church who really understand me and Pastor Brian. And now it's only me, because Pastor Brian's wrong. And, you know, here's the real truth on the subject. And and so he's been great for 10 years, but all of a sudden, the pride of his heart, the whatever it is, got in there, 
And now, whatever point he's trying to make, he's being divisive with it. And sometimes people are right, but they just have the wrong spirit. They're not being teachable. They're not being humble. They're being divisive with the point they're making. And typically, he says, after the second admonition, you can know that that person is warped and sinning. Well, how are they warped? They're they're so focused in on this pet peeve of theirs that it, they can't see the, the, the mountains because of this tree right in front of them. And it's like, you know what? Let it go. That, look at everything else going on in the church. Look at everything else happening. This doesn't have to be the one thing in your life that you're going to put on your tombstone. I set the record right on tongues, you know, or whatever it is. It's not worth it. You're, you're, you're warped right now. You're, you're not... You're not in balance. You're not a, a round ball. You became an egg shape and, you know, you're, you're wobbling here. And now you're starting to sin because you're distracting new believers. You're, you're stumbling them. You're eating up the time of the leaders and distracting their minds, keeping them from being able to focus on what they need to focus on. And you're sinning by not having a heart of teachableness and, and a willingness to yield and, a, and an ability to submit to leaders and, and to have a humble heart towards those who are in leadership. And again, ultimately, to the degree you judge is what? The degree you're going to be judged. You're self-condemned. How is that? Because you have this critical, judgmental spirit. And let me tell you something. It's going to come back on you. To the measure you measure out, it's going to be measured back on you. And you're setting yourself up for a fall. Jesus taught it in this way in Matthew 18. Go ahead and look there if you would. To Matthew chapter 18. Matthew 18, verse 15. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, or again, is in error concerning you personally or the whole body of Christ, we are one body of Christ as well. Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Try to point it out. If he hears you, you've gained a brother. You went through a tough time together. You came out the light at the end of the tunnel and you went through some murky, deep, difficult times and you struggled through it and you came out and you're going to be closer now. But if he will not hear you, take with you one or two more. Then by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. So now you take them and you say, hey, you know what? We need to really look at this here. This is, uh, you know what, whether you're right or wrong, you're being divisive, okay? You don't think that a Christian ought to eat meat? Then be a vegetarian, but keep it to yourself. The Bible makes it clear in Romans 14, you're not to condemn your brother over what he eats. And uh, again, if he persists, he, he won't listen. Then at that point, it says, if he refuses to hear, tell it to the church. And if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. So how that would play out in a large church, it may have the whole leadership stand before him if it is a home fellowship, take it before the home fellowship. We wouldn't necessarily take it before a whole church unless he was known to the whole church. And, uh, but again, to tell him, you know what? You're, you're not allowed here to be in fellowship anymore. And to him, to be as a, as a heathen and a tax collector. Turn over to 2 Timothy, if you would. 
Again, how to deal with these kind of situations. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Verse 23. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 23. Avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing they generate strife. So first, just try to get away from them. Just try not to stir it up. If the guy has some pet peeve, just hopefully it'll die. And you don't have to deal with it. And he'll let it go by until it comes up three years from now. And hopefully then he'll be a more mature Christian, not to be divisive about it. But a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth, that they may come to their senses, escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. So in some cases, you have just an erring brother who just needs to be reached out to and work with them in humility and patience and kindness, taking them through the word, showing them, okay, you know what? The Bible doesn't say that. That's incorrect doctrinally. That's a serious false doctrine. Or in some cases, it's usually the case of just, you know what? You're focused on this thing. It's such a minor thing. Even if that's what you believe on that, don't make it an issue. And we're telling you plainly as leaders of the church, not to bring it up again in church because you are being divisive with it. It's a minor point. You might have 10 other people in the church that agree with you, but you're not to go seek them out and find them. You're not to make this a divisive point. And to try to correct them in humility, humbly, not to lord it over them or try to say, I as your pastor and scolding you and submit to me. And No, just as a brother, come and, and try to reason with them. Sometimes, it's not just an erring brother, it's a stubborn sheep. It's somebody who's being out and out stubborn. And in um, Romans, hold your finger there in 2 Timothy 2, we'll come back to that, but look over to Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16. Verse 17 and 18. Romans chapter 16, verse 17 and 18. Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned. Avoid them. So here he hasn't necessarily completely kicked them out of church, but they're not a part of church anymore. Just don't be around them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly by smooth words and flattering speech deceive the hearts of the simple. And then in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6, again, we see stubborn sheep that are becoming divisive and they're borderline wolves. And they're definitely trying to direct the church um, and trying to manipulate people. In 2 Thessalonians 3, 6, But we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly, and not according to the tradition which we received, he received from us. So again, there comes a point where the stubborn sheep is unwilling to be broken, unwilling to be spoken into, his life spoken into, or being directed. At that point, you have to avoid them. You have to put them outside the church. It's not necessarily saying you're not a Christian. We don't want anything to do with you. It's simply saying you're divisive. You're an infectious sheep, and you're infecting the other sheep. You're, you're causing the other sheep 
to not be able to be still and quiet and be fed and be built up. And then we, have, we see that there are some sheep again. They're not wolves, but they are wounded sheep or stubborn sheep, and they're definitely infecting the body in a negative way. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. If anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person, do not keep company with him, that he may be ashamed. Yet do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. So again, we see the the spirit of Paul that although they're outside the body, although they're infectious and we can't fellowship with them like we can the rest of the body of Christ, they're still a believer. They're stubborn, they're in error, they're being divisive, They're trying to manipulate people and trying to persuade them to their pet peeve and to their way. But at the end of the day, they're still a believer, but they're simply in a very bad position. They're in such a bad position that they're a lone ranger Christian. And there's a lot of them out there. I'm not going to go to the Baptist church because they're blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to send to God's church because I disagree with them, blah, blah, blah. I can't be the Methodist church because blah, blah, blah. I can't be a part of Calvary because blah, blah, blah. I can't be, you know... They're, they're sort of ticked at every single group. And they're, they're at a point where it's really their heart. Okay? How, how many of you agree 100% with everything I've ever preached? How many of you guys are out there? there there's two of us. But I can't raise my hand. Because I listen to some of my teaching going, I don't agree with that. And... Uh, <laughs> I've had people write me every once in a while going, hey, you know, back in 1985, you said this and that. Really? That's heresy. And uh, (laughs) so sometimes, you know, you you grow and mature and don't agree with your own stuff. So, but uh, again, here we are. We love each other. We're getting along. We're being built up with, you know, built up in the word. And and so again, I, I don't think it's a requirement to say, We have to 100% be in agreement with 100% of everything all the time. How many of you guys are with your spouses? Any hands? It's like, yes, honey, raise your hand. You're always in agreement with me. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, it's, it's just non-existent, right? And so again, the issue isn't all these little pet doctrines and beliefs. It's really an issue of their heart the unwillingness of their heart to be at peace with one another rather than to be divisive with one another. And then there's people, again, as we're looking at in Romans and Second Thessalonian passage, they're stubborn sheep heading towards being wolves. Uh, you sort of have to deceive. Well, that sounds more like a wolf. No, that's a stubborn sheep. Well, you know, here he clearly says, even though he's that far out there, still admonish him as a brother. He may not be a brother, uh, he may be a wolf, but admonish him as a brother to repent and, and quit being that way. And then there's just out-and-out wolves. And Second John, turn there if you would, almost to the book of Revelation, a little tiny book. Second John, just a little paragraph there, verse 10 and 11. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house nor greet him, for he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. So here he says, this guy who's not with sound doctrine. Now, all the other issues I'm talking about, guys, are peripheral issues. But when it comes to the doctrines of Christianity, that's a whole other issue. 
There was one guy that had a great heart for God. He did not believe the Holy Spirit was a person. He believed there's a Father and Son. That's it. There's no Trinity. There's simply the Father and the Son. The Holy Spirit's the energy force. And he wanted to be a leader in the church. And I said, not only can you not be a leader in the church, you need to repent because you're in heresy. Where did he get this? Well, his father taught it to him and his grandfather, sort of a, you know, who else believes that? (laughs) Well, back in the 1300s, there was some monk who lived inside of a mountain in Germany. You know, it's like, yeah, outside of you three, who else believes that? I mean, and so again, at that point, it's not an issue of a peripheral issue. When's the Lord coming back? Or what version of the Bible should we use or not use? This is an issue of heresy changing the very nature of God and denying clear doctrine in the Bible that if you don't heed to it, you are, you've stepped over the line from being a sheep to being a heretic, uh, somebody who's not born again, who's not bearing witness with the truth about who God is. And so at that point, dealing with a wolf, when you clearly distinguish it's a wolf, then you need to treat that wolf as a wolf and put them out before they begin to eat sheep. You know, so an unhealthy sheep can butt another sheep. And sometimes, again, in the great little book, the shepherd looks at the 23rd Psalm, you have some sheep that'll just keep ramming the other sheep until sometimes the sheep will get so upset they'll let go of their babies and, 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 and kill their own unborn baby, just let it loose to run away. Sometimes they're so bruised up, they actually do die. But a lot of times they're so banged up and they're so upset they can't eat, they can't drink, and they begin to dehydrate. And so when a sheep is upsetting the other sheep to that point, you have to take that sheep and set them outside in another pen or outside the fellowship so the other sheep can be at rest and peace so they can eat and and, uh, grow. And so even though they're a sheep, they're just being so mule-headed and so stubborn that they're not able to abide with the rest of the flock. And so knowing that person, he's not going to repent at this time. He's warped and sinning. And by his critical spirit, he's going to end up judging himself. Well, in verse 12 there, as we conclude here tonight, when I send Artemis to you or Tychicus, be diligent to come to me and Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Now, this guy, Artemis, we don't know who he is, but we do know that Paul puts him on the same level as Tychicus. Tychicus, we do know quite about him, quite a bit about him. In Acts chapter 20, verse 4, we know that he went on that mini missionary journey with Paul from Corinth over and into Asia Minor. We also know that he was the one who brought the letter of Colossae, the Colossian letter we're going to look at next week. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 7, Tychicus was the deliverer of that letter. And then there's other mentions of him as well. And he says, so uh, this guy who is um, Artemis, uh, come. Now, you know, again, just because this is a Roman name or a Gentile name, not a Jewish name, doesn't mean this guy isn't a Jew. Remember that many of the Jews had bought Roman citizenship or had somehow become a Roman citizen and they actually held a couple of names. They held Gentile names and Jewish names. Remember Saul, his name was also Paul. And there were others who had that. So um, 
Again, he could have been a Jew. He could have been a Gentile. Either way, when they're with Paul, they use their Gentile names because Paul was trying to reach the Gentiles. And uh, then he says, we're going to go down to Nicopolis. There's nine different cities that we know of in history with this name. So which Nicopolis he was talking about, we don't know. Some thinks he was referring to uh, southern Providence of Greece on the coast of Achaia. Um, others believe it was uh, talking about the northern part of Greece and the area around Philippi. Um, we don't know. We do know that it was probably at Nicopolis that the Roman government picked up Apostle Paul and rearrested him. Now, if you remember, he was in Roman custody for a long time under house arrest. He finally made it to Rome. We see his last letter there in 2 Timothy where he said, hey, um, I'm going to stand before Nero and God will deliver me. Well, he did actually get delivered. But then there was a change of heart. And after a few months, he was rearrested, came back to Rome, and then he was then killed for his faith. So many believe it was here at Nicopolis where he was rearrested before taken back uh, to Rome. And then in verse 13, then Zenos, the lawyer, again, we don't know anything about him other than that. Uh, again, was he a Roman lawyer and Paul knew him from being in custody? Or was he a Jewish lawyer? In other words, a, a scribe, one who knew the scriptures. Again, he had Roman citizenship, but this is a, a Roman name. Probably he was some kind of Roman lawyer. And Apollos, on their journey with haste, that they may lack nothing. So Apollos, we know a lot about him. Remember in Acts chapter 18, Aquila and Priscilla heard this amazing preacher. But he wasn't completely accurate. And they pulled him aside and they said, hey, tell us what's going on here. And as it turned out, he had heard John the Baptist and then he heard the Messiah was coming, and like many Jews, didn't go to, back to Israel every year, and he didn't know about Jesus. And so the word came up going, hey, John the Baptist said the Messiah is coming, right? Yeah, he came. His name's Jesus. And there they took him through the scriptures, and then he became a believer in Jesus. And he was a mighty in scripture. Uh, he was also um, used by the Corinthian church to be, be divisive. He was an amazing teacher, and some said, well, you know, I'm of Apollos. I'm, others, I'm of Paul. Others, I'm of Cephas. Others, I'm of Christ. But uh, he was an amazing man of God, and here we see the Apostle Paul had no problem with him, and he said, take these two guys as they're on their way. They have a ministry they're trying to get to, probably a, a, a church that needed some sound doctrine, and help them if they come by the island of Crete. Uh, again, Crete was a, a, a place where a lot of boats stopped on their way from one point to another. So if they happen to come there to the island of Crete, uh, help them out. Give them a place to stay and, and strengthen them. That they lack nothing on their journey. So if they're short food or money or encouragement, whatever it is, help them to get on their way. And in verse 14, let our people also learn to maintain good works, to meet urgent needs, that they may not be unfruitful. So follow this with me. Back in Titus chapter 1, verse 16. They profess to know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable, disobedient, disqualified for what? Every good work. Having a life of good works is one way of showing that you're truly born-again believer. 
Remember James chapter 2. Faith without what? Works is dead. If you don't have the lifestyle of a Christian, it's probably because you're not a Christian. And if you claim to be a Christian and you don't have the lifestyle of a Christian, you've probably never been born again. Again, as Christians, we're growing, we're making mistakes, we're sinning along the way, but God's there to forgive us. But if there's no life change, it's probably because there hasn't been a changed life. Look in verse 6 and 7 there of chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of what? Good works. In doctrine, showing integrity and reverence and corruptibility. Titus chapter 2, verse 14. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for what? Good works. Chapter 3, verse 1. Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities to obey, to be ready for every what? Good work. 3.8. This is a faithful saying. And these things I want you to affirm constantly that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain what? Good works. These things are good and profitable to all, to men. And then verse 14 here again this evening. Let our people also learn to maintain good works. So again, don't listen to your feelings. Don't listen to your emotions. Don't grow weary in well-doing. When all the romance of the marriage is gone, what do you have? You have another person that you're supposed to love and serve and give your life for. And it's just maintaining that marriage. And there's moments in the marriage that you have romance and you have, you know, a new little honeymoon and you have a joyful time, but then there's the valley of the marriage, right? But you've made that commitment till death do you part. The same way in Christianity. Our bodies are sold under sin and to bondage, Paul says in Romans 7. There's no good thing that dwells in me. Hold it, that's not completely true. That's in my flesh. Your body does not want to serve the Lord. Your body does not want to read the Bible. Your body does not want to be here tonight. Your body doesn't want to lift hands and worship. It doesn't want to get on its knees to pray. Your body doesn't want to be faithful year after year after year, 50 years later, still teaching that second grade Sunday school class every Sunday morning. Your body wants something new and exciting. That's why people do drugs. That's why people get drunk. That's why people try to constantly get high on some new thing because they want that that honeymoon over and over again. But guess what? You're going to start sending yourself down a, a, a very dark tunnel if you do that we know the truth it's the truth that sets us free we need to just continue to be faithful plugging away walking in the truth and let me tell you something it gets continually deeper and richer and better whatever it is if you're just faithful in it if you're faithful in the word it'll get deeper and richer and better you may have to go through four years of a desert how many old christians know what i'm talking about where I am praying because God said to. I don't feel like he's heard my prayers in four years, but I believe him. You're reading the Bible and it's like, man, it's just dry. I'm not getting anything out of it. God sends you through times where he's saying, are you walking by faith or not? Do you really believe me or not? There's no emotions of joy. There's no emotions of satisfaction. It's simply a grind for a time to be faithful Well done, good, and what? Faithful servant. That's what he's looking for. 
And so to continue to encourage, to tell, to repeat, to remind, to exhort one another to love and good works. Because that's what we're called to. And you know what? The reward will come. If you don't grow weary in well-doing, you will what? Reap if you faint not. You'll reap having the wife of your youth. You'll reap in your kids. Even if they depart, they'll return, come back because you've been faithful in teaching them the word. You'll, re- you'll reap the lifestyle of a deep character, of a godly person, of a hard worker, of a faithful father, of a faithful husband, of a faithful friend. It'll be worth it. It may not seem worth it 10 out of the 20 years, but it will be worth it at the end. God says he will make it pay. may not feel like it, but it will pay in the end. So I, as a pastor, have to tell you one more time, maintain good works. Meet urgent needs. So again, your life is going to be spiraled by meeting urgent needs. All of a sudden you see some little old lady broken down along the road there. Ah, Okay, meet that urgent need. You know what? That's a divine appointment from God. As you change that tire or help her get her car to the gas station, that's, God's going to use that opportunity to witness to her. Whatever that urgent need is, you know, your neighbor's dog got away and, oh, where's my dog? Oh, my poor dog. Oh, good. I don't have to listen to that dumb thing yap at night anymore. No, 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 no. Don't have that heart. Go help them find their dog. Even though it's 1030 at night and you want to go to bed. You know, Again, be willing to meet those needs. First of all, in the body of Christ, but then outside of that, if God gives that ability, according to your ability, according to your ability. If you don't have the ability, then God hasn't strengthened you to meet that need. But if you have the ability, then meet the need. And you don't always have that ability, but sometimes you do. And if it's in your realm, if it's in your ability, then help that person And you'll find yourself not being unfruitful. But you'll find yourself being fruitful. So let God arrange your schedule. Be diligent. Have a good schedule. But then let God move it. Right? Let God bend it in a way that would glorify him by helping you be a servant to all men. Meeting those urgent needs. Well, look at Ephesians chapter 4 verse 28 here. It says, let him who stole still no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands, what is good, that he may have something to give him who's in need. So again, talking to Christians. Um, you know, a lot of us were thieves at one time. Uh, go through that list there in 1 Corinthians 6. Uh, you know, from homosexuals to sodomites to extortioners to adulterers and fornicators and And here, Paul's adding to the list thieves, and such were some of you. But now you've been washed, you've been cleansed. And so now he's saying, as as non-Christians, you used to steal. Why? Because you were greedy, you wanted to put it upon yourself. But now as a Christian, work hard. Why? So you can have more money to help others. That should be your motive. To make enough money to have a little extra to bless other people, be other-centered rather than self-centered. Again, meeting those urgent needs. In 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 11, that you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, to work with your own hands as we commanded you, 
that you may walk properly towards those who are outside, that you may lack nothing. So here he says one of the greatest Christian witnesses you can have is keep your mouth shut, get your work done, be hardworking. For your boss to say or your employees to say whatever it is, wow, that guy does well at what he does. He really accomplishes a lot in what he does. And you are glorifying God. And I tell my kids, right now, your work is school. So the way you can glorify God, the best is to get the best grades you can. That's the way you're going to glorify God. And uh, if you're, whatever you're doing, if you're a carpenter, glorify God in being a carpenter. Do the best you can, working hard at what you do. In Hebrews 13, 16. But do not forget to do good and to share for With such sacrifices, God is well pleased. So again, he makes it very clear. Be willing to give. Be willing to share. And in many cases, it's a sacrifice for you to help those people. It's a sacrifice for you to meet those urgent needs. It's a sacrifice for you to help out with whatever that is. But God's well pleased with such sacrifices. And then finally, verse 15 All who are with me greet you. We don't know who the group of people were with Paul. Paul had a lot of people traveling in and out. Greet those who love us in the faith. So he's making a clear distinction here against false prophets and divisive people. He's not saying go greet them. Go greet the divisive people. Go greet the false doctrine or the false prophets or the false teachers. Why? Because that strengthens them. Remember that verse back in 2 John Verse 10 and 11, he said, If anyone among you does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house, nor greet him. Why? Because that strengthens him. If the Apostle Paul is greeting this guy who's a false teacher, oh, did you hear that? Yeah, well, yeah, Apostle Paul sent me a special greeting. Yeah, he knows I'm right on. This pastor here and these group over here, they don't. But Apostle Paul, you know, he knows. So he makes it clear. Don't greet the divisive people. Don't greet the false teachers. But greet all those who truly love us and are in the faith. And then he says, grace be with you all. And that you there is in the plural. So he's making it clear that this was not just a letter for Titus, but it was a letter for the whole body of Christ to hear and to be encouraged by. Grace be with you all. And everyone said, amen. And all the ladies said, women." no. Um, (laughs) Amen means so be it, Lord. So be it, Lord. Lord, we thank you for your word. And we thank you again for the joy of just going line upon line and precept upon precept. Here a little, there a little. And letting our hearts be enriched and encouraged in the knowledge of you. And we do ask, Lord, that this book of Titus would be written deeply upon our hearts. And that we would all be careful to maintain good works, to do good works, and then to continue a life of good works until we see you face to face. Strengthen our hearts to here tonight, Lord. And if there's any with a seed of divisiveness in them, a seed of unwillingness to, to be taught or to listen or to yield, if there's any amongst here who are being stirred up by divisive or stubborn people to have pet peeve issues, whether it's on end times or what the gifts are for today or whether there's UFOs in the Bible or whatever it is, Lord, just help them, Lord, to get all the ticks and the fleas off them, to get all the lice away to let you anoint their head with oil and the pure doctrine of God, just to be at peace, growing daily, hearing from your voice and being strengthened in you as they come deeper and deeper into the knowledge of your word. 
And we ask this in Jesus' precious name. And everyone said, amen. Ask somebody next to you right now. What, not your husband or wife, okay? Not your child or something. Ask somebody around you that is not related to you. How can I pray for you the rest of this week, okay? And uh, then you can go. Go do it. I think I say that a lot, and I see people walk out. I'm like going, I don't think so. Of course, they may have to run to the bathroom, and who knows?